0: Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Thank you for your wonderful singing this morning. For the past several years, it's been my habit most of the time to in the opening convocation bring as always a biblical exposition but to take that text and wed it to the life of a significant missionary in history Uh, this particular morning i come with both joy and some sense of weightiness i doubt i prepared uh, more for a message than this one i'm sure i spent well over a 100 hours in preparation because I just became fascinated with the subject that will be our illustration throughout our text this morning. And so I want you to take your Bible and join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 17 and studying down through verse 24. And the subject of our message this morning is, Find Your Contentment in Christ. The life and missionary ministry of Betsy Stockton, the first single woman to go to the nations. First Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 17. Only at le- let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not uh, seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition, the calling, to which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freeman of the Lord likewise he who was free when called is a slave of christ you were bought with a price do not become slaves of men so brothers in whatever condition each was called let him remain with god if we were to use a baseball metaphor this morning we would say that betsy stockton who was born in 1798 and died in 1865, began life with three strikes and a broken bat. She was a woman, she was black, she was born a slave. She had no idea who her father was and she was taken away from her mother at a very tender age. But oh, what a life her heavenly father had planned for his precious daughter. She would be converted to Christ in 1816, about the age of 18, freed by her owner, Ashbel Green, and she would leave America for the mission field in 1822 as the first single woman to ever go to the nations. And that's just the beginning of the remarkable life that God had for this precious daughter of his. You know, we should all be reminded on a regular basis what a difference a relationship with Jesus Christ makes, how our life actually gains renewed and different and new purpose and direction. Furthermore, as Paul makes very clear in this passage and in other places in the New Testament, we should not allow ourselves to become anxious about anything. Our Lord enables us to be content. In whatever circumstances we may find ourselves in fact in this particular section of scripture first Corinthians chapter 7 Paul says to the church at Corinth don't worry whether you're married single divorced widowed don't concern yourself about ethnic or social distinctions and status but rather find contentment in your identity in Christ and your station in life whatever it is after all It is the Lord who placed you where you are. Now, as we walk through verses 17 through 24, you see that one particular word dominates our text, and that is the word call. The word occurs eight times in our English text, nine times in the Greek text. It is properly translated, I believe, as situation or condition as the ESV renders it in verse 20. And Paul will use the word primarily, but not exclusively, to speak of our salvation and our identity in Christ. But he will also use it to speak of our vocation, our condition, our situation in life. And a former slave, a black single woman who would be the first single lady to leave America as a missionary exemplifies beautifully the truth of this text as well as anyone that i have ever read about or have ever studied you see betsy stockton understood as we must understand that both of our callings calling to salvation calling to vocation has been sovereignly determined by our lord and all of us can rest in that three overarching uh, considerations then for us this morning number one be content in your assignment from the Lord. That is verse 17. Paul is going to address some basic principles that should undergird our thinking in life. And the bottom line is this: God knows where you are, and God has placed you where you are. Where you are. And Paul makes this clear by laying down a very simple principle from the Lord, a common practice, what he calls his rule or command in all of the churches. And what is it? Verse 17: Let each person, every one of us, lead or live the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Paul's point is simply this. God has an individual plan for every one of his children. So trust in this. Rest in this. Be at peace in this. When God called you to salvation, he already had a course mapped out for your life. Growing out of our call to salvation, the Lord has a definite calling for life that is sovereignly determined by Him. And as Paul says, this is not a word for just some of you. This is a word for all of us as he says, this is my rule in all the churches. Now, we need to understand something very clearly this morning. Service to God can take a variety of relationships and vocations within His moral will. God's calling is unique to my life, and God's calling is unique to your life as well. It is, though, something that you should not fret about. It is not something you should worry about. Yes, over time, uh, that particular assignment may adjust or change. But Paul would say, wherever you are right now, rest and be content in what God has for you. John Piper says it like this, make obedience a big deal. Make the whole aim of your life to obey the moral will of God. You can have fulfillment in Christ whatever your job is. Betsy Stockton exemplifies this beautifully. She was born into the world of American chattel slavery, and by all accounts she was a feisty young lady. Ashbel Green, a Presbyterian minister who would become president of Princeton University, and for a time, Betsy's owner said of her, Betsy gave no evidence of piety or any permanent seriousness till she was near 20 years old. On the contrary, she was at least until the age of 13 or 14 wild and thoughtless, if not vicious. However, Bexie Stockton's conversion at about the age of 18 or 20, we can't be certain there, resulted in a radical change that immediately planted in her heart a desire for in her day what was unthinkable and virtually impossible for a person of her station, the desire to be an international missionary." Eileen Moffitt, who was a missionary in Korea from 1956 to 1981, writes of Betsy, quote, Her maturing Christian faith gradually gave form in her mind a sense of the duty that Christians bear toward the lost of the world, the conviction that salvation is found only in Christ. Betsy believed with all her heart that it is the sacred duty of Christians to offer themselves in humble obedience to God's call to carry out his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ for the world. I think it also worth noting that some of her friends actually opposed her plan, and yet in spite of their opposition, she continued to read and study and hope and pray that God might allow her to be a missionary. I would ask you this morning, what do you dream about? what do you hope for? As you consider the future that God has for you, what are the dreams that you would pray He might bring to fruition? Yes, we should be contentment in our assignment from the Lord. But number two, be content in your conditions in the Lord. Paul will now illustrate in verses 18 through 22 the point that he has just made, drawing first upon the issue of circumcision, and secondly, the issue of slavery. Curtis Vaughn says these were perhaps the major or chief social distinctions of the day. Now, Paul does as he often does in his writings. He engages this issue in a question and answer kind of format. Question. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? That is called to Christ and to salvation. Well, the answer is, he should not undo his circumcision. Uh, evidently, according to Paul Gardner, such actions to cover a person's Jewishness appears to have taken place from time to time. But the reverse situation appears to have been taking place as well. Question, was anyone called while uncircumcised? Answer, he should not get circumcised. And then we say, well, why not? And verse 19 provides the answer. Circumcision does not matter. And uncircumcision does not matter. So what matters, he says here in chapter uh, 7 verse 19, keeping God's commands. That is what matters. Now, Paul would add a very helpful commentary on this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, where there the Bible says, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. So Paul's argument is simply this, being in Christ changes everything. Outward ethnic and social distinctions no longer matter as they once did. It's not that they are unimportant, but they no longer have a priority. They no longer dominate your thinking. Well, in verse 20, and for a second time, Paul will reiterate the main point of the passage, let each one of you then remain in the situation, literally in the calling in which he is called. Again, Paul would say, God has uniquely and specifically called you to this situation or condition, It is not accidental, it is not by fate. it's not like God was up there in heaven not paying attention and looks down one day and says, oh, goodness gracious, I never realized that he was doing that or she was over there. No, life doesn't work like that at all. God is always eminently and personally engaged with your life no matter where you are, no matter what you are doing now. Paul will reaffirm this cardinal principle a second time as he makes an application to the issue of slavery. Let me be clear. Slavery is a horrible evil. Whatever time or form it is practiced. In the Greco-Roman world it was both widespread and common but unlike the transatlantic slave trade commerce that will always be a stain on America's history and past, slavery in the ancient world was not race-based. Further, its manifestations and practices were extremely diverse. My good friend at Southern Seminary, Tom Schreiner, is very helpful here. He writes, one could be born a slave sell oneself into slavery to pay debts, be sold into slavery or become a slave by being captured in war. Many slaves lived miserably, particularly those that served in the mines. But other slaves served as doctors, teachers, managers, musicians, artisans, barbers, cooks, or shopkeepers, and they could even own other slaves. In some instances, slaves were better educated than their masters. Slaves in the Greco-Roman world were under the control of their master, though, and they had no independent existence. Indeed, they had no legal rights, and they could suffer brutal mistreatment at the hands of their owners. Masters could beat them, brand them, and abuse them physically and sexually. Children born in slavery belonged to masters rather than to the parents who gave them birth. And Seneca's observation exposes the evil of slavery, quote, You may take a slave in chains and at your pleasure expose him to every test of endurance. But too great violence in the striker has often dislocated a joint or left a sinew fastened in the very teeth it has broken. Anger has left many a man crippled, many disabled, even when it found its victim submissive. I think it's also important to note that the slavery of pre-Civil War America most readily corresponds to what we read about in Exodus chapter 21 verse 16 and 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10 where the phrase slave trader or man stealers is used and again the Bible resoundingly condemns that activity. So Paul returns to his Q&A format in verse 21 question Were you called while a slave? Answer, don't let it concern you. In other words, don't allow this to control or even consume you. Christ is now your all-consuming passion. He's everything. And how Christ sees you is ultimately what matters. However, he adds a very helpful qualification in verse 1. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. In other words, the admonition to pursue freedom, if the possibility presents itself, is there. And furthermore, it finds, I believe, at least indirect support in the book of Philemon. And again, Tom Schreiner points out that there's Old Testament warrant for this well, looking at Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 through 11, and Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 5. And so in verse 22, Paul drives home his argument with a foundational theological truth, For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. Now, later in chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul applied this principle to the work of evangelism. But here the point is, I am free from sin, but I am a slave to Christ in my spiritual status before God. And once more, I would point out, we see this truth lived out magnificently in the life of Betsy Stockton. As I noted earlier, Betsy Stockton was born into slavery to a man named Robert Stockton of Princeton. She would be given to Stockton's daughter, Elizabeth, and her husband, Ashbel Green. But this was providential. Here, this brilliant little girl learned to read and encouraged by the Green family. Furthermore, Ashbel Green was an abolitionist who gave Betsy her freedom when she was 20 years old. And when Betsy applied to be a missionary, he was one to write two stellar letters commending her to foreign missionary work. Now, he does note that in his diaries, he says, and I quote, By me and my wife, she was never intended to be held as a slave. And so, though he received her as a little girl over the years, I believe he promised her that he would set her free, and he did so when she was an older teen or at the age of 20. And as I noted earlier, her conversion brought about a radical, radical transformation in her life. And indeed, Ashbel Green, in his letter of commendation, provides the best summation for us from the historical records. I quote, Betsy is now about 25 years of age, has never been married. Her health till sometime after she returned to live with me in 1816 was remarkably firm and vigorous. Since that, it has been several times interrupted and is habitually delicate, but I think is improving. I have paid her full wages as a hired girl for two or three years past. Her services have been so valuable that I shall regret to lose them, but she has been for a good while exceedingly desirous to go on a mission, and I am willing that she should. I think her in many respects well qualified for this. I hope she is fervently pious. There is no kind of work in a family for which she is not very expert, but... I think her well qualified for higher employment in a mission than domestic drudgery. She reads extremely well. Let me interject, by the way, Betsy Stockton never had one single day of formal education. She was completely self-taught herself. And he says of her, She reads extremely well. Few of her age and sex have read more books on religion than she or can give a better account of them. She has no small share of miscellaneous reading and has a real taste for literature. She understands geography and English grammar pretty well. Some of you would do well to learn from her, by the way. She composes her English in a manner that is very uncommon for one of her standing in society, a a former slave who is black and a woman. She is tolerably skilled in arithmetic. She has made all these attainments by improving her time and privilege in my family. And then you would read this as almost a passing statement, but it's not. Because now as a free woman, she can choose the name she wants. And she says, and he writes, she calls herself Betsy Stockton and again in the historical context this is absolutely remarkable once a slave now a free woman and a missionary candidate i assure you betsy stockton believed and had no doubt that god was in complete control number three be content in your relationship with the lord Paul builds on his argument in these verses, and he does so first of all by going back and citing uh, chapter 6 and verse 20 where Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Well, there Paul talks about the fact that the atoning work of Christ sets us free from sexual immorality as we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. But here he says we are now set free from both slavery to sin and also earthly distinctions as we become slaves of Christ. In fact, as I was going over this one more time this morning, I wrote in the margin of my Bible, all of us are slaves to something. Make sure you are a slave to the right master. And that is basically what Paul is saying here because in verse 23 he fires a directive, do not become slaves of people. In other words, your social status according to human standards means nothing. The opinions of others means nothing. You're a new creation in Christ. Do not be enslaved on the one hand to shame as a slave or be enslaved on the other hand to pride as a free person. Don't be enslaved to the opinions of men. Christ is Lord, and what He says it what counts. Find your value, find your worth, find your identity in Jesus. And so for the third time, verse 17, 20, and now verse 24, Paul inserts the key that unlocks his argument, brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation or the condition in which He was called. Warren Wiersbe, the uh, wonderful author of the B-series commentaries and for many years the pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, Says it very well here. We are prone to think that a change in circumstances is always the answer to a problem. But the problem is usually within us and not around us. The heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. And I would then draw upon Paul's wonderful words in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. You don't have this in the PowerPoint, but Ellen uh, Moffitt in John Andrews' writing of Betsy Stockton said, and I quote, Her worldview was grounded on the premise of the love of God in Jesus Christ for the whole world and the conviction that salvation is found only in Christ. Betsy believed with all her heart that it is the sacred duty of Christians to offer themselves in humble obedience to God's call to carry out His plan of salvation through Jesus Christ for the world. This persuasion soon blossomed into a desire to go to Africa as a missionary." Betsy Stockton did receive a stellar recommendation as she applied for foreign missions from Ashbel Green, but also another friend by the name of Michael Osborne. And this is what Michael Osborne wrote about Betsy Stockton. I love it. I think her pious, intelligent, industrious, skillful in the management of domestic affairs, apt to teach and endowed with a large portion of the active, persevering, self-sacrificing spirit of a missionary. From my first acquaintance with her, she has expressed a decided wish to go to the heathen. Africa was the place of her choice. The opposition of her friends has kept her until now. For about a year and a half, she has been a member of my class in the Sabbath school at this place. Her recitations have been chiefly from the sacred scriptures, the larger catechism, Jewish antiquities, and sacred geography. By the way, I didn't know that geography was sacred, but that's what he says. She had a larger acquaintance uh, with sacred history and the Mosaic institutions than almost any ordinary person, young or old, I have ever known. Let me add parenthetically, he would say, by ordinary person, you will understand me to mean such as are not clergymen or candidates for the ministry. I recollected a multitude of instances where from my own information, I have questioned her about some fact in biblical history or some minute point in Jewish antiquities and have received immediately a correct answer. I am of the opinion that few pious young ladies of her age will be found to equal her knowledge of the Bible and general theology. Betsy Stockton then would be appointed as a missionary by the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions to this day. She's the only unmarried freed slave to ever go on a foreign mission journey or trip or assignment from the American Board of Commissioners of Foreign Missionaries. So, on November the 19th, 20th, 1822, Betsy and her new family, the Stuarts, would set sail for a five-month voyage, now you'll find this interesting, to the Sandwich Islands. How many of you know where the sandwich islands are would you raise your hand well you should because today we call it hawaii fortunately and it is i think a a providential blessing betsy kept a journal and in this journal as they are traveling the five months to hawaii she is incredibly incredibly honest both about the highs and the lows of the trip and i will cite her journal at some length. November the 23rd, Saturday. Morning at daybreak, shipped to sea. The water rushed into the cabin. I saw it with very little fear and felt inclined to say, the Lord reigneth. Let us all rejoice. I was so weak that I was almost unable to help myself. At 10 o'clock, though I went on deck, the scene that presented itself was to me the most sublime I ever witnessed. How thought I? Can those who go down to the sea in ships deny the existence of God? The day was spent in self-examination. This, if ever, is the time to try my motives in leaving my native land. I found myself at times unwilling to perish so near my friend, but soon became composed and resigned to whatever should be the will of my heavenly Father. I believed that my motives were pure, And a calm and heavenly peace soon took possession of my breast. Oh, that it were always with me as it is this day. December the 30th, Sabbath. I felt something of the love of God in my heart, but still I felt as if I was declining in the spiritual life. I tend a little to the study of the Bible and find it pleasant, yet I find a void within my breast that is painful. February the 6th. The weather's beginning to be rather cold and I point out in uh, parenthetically, they did travel all the way down and around South America to go to the Sandwich Islands because the Panama Canal would not be built until the years 1904 and completed in 1914. And it's just a practical matter. I find my woolen clothes to be very comfortable. My health is very good. Again, a little homesick But do not wish to return, O thought I, if I could but spend one Sabbath evening in your study, that of Ashbel Green, how my heart would rejoice. But I must look forward to that Sabbath, which will never end, there to see face to face what we now see dimly through a glass, and to meet you with my other friends whom I have left behind." It is a source of consolation to me to be able to think that you, with many others in my native land, pray for me. Were it not for that, I should almost despair. But I find my heart more deeply corrupted than I had any idea of. I always knew that the human heart was a sink of sin, but that mine was filled with it. But I did not know until now that the sink was without bottom. I attribute much of my spiritual difficulty to the want of retirement and prayer. Ah, how soon may the people of God grieve away His Holy Spirit. But why should I thus complain and despond? He is still my Father and my God, and I still love Him. Yes, my bomb is still in Gilead and my physician is there. February the 8th, here you will indulge me with a passing reflection. I've always remarked that in the most dangerous situations I have felt the easiest and it was because I did not know my danger. And can there be anything more like a sleeping Christian or an unawakened sinner, both in imminent danger and both stupid? that god may save me from spiritual as he has in mercy from the natural evil she continues but hitherto has the lord helped me and i can raise upon this much dreaded landmark a strong and lasting ebenezer long i hope shall i remember the mercy of my god here here too the spirit of the lord has i trust been striving with some of the sailors though many are yet i fear in the gall of bitterness some however are rejoicing in the lord how would your heart rejoice with us could you see these hardy sons of the ocean who would scorn to complain of any earthly hardships bowing with the spirit of children at the cross of christ march 24 the morning was pleasant but I could not enjoy it. I was wretched. I could not enjoy my friends because I could not enjoy my God. March the 29th. The appearance of the crew has not been so favorable today as it was last Saturday. The strong man armed is keeping his palace, but blessed be God, there is a stronger than he. Oh, that it would please him to come down and show his power amongst us the 30th alas how unlike those sabbath mornings i have spent beneath your roof where all was quietness and peace but i am indulging myself too much in such recollections i would not i could not i dare not look with longing eyes towards my native land no sir My hand lies on the plow, and if my poor wretched heart does not deceive me, I would not take it off for all the wealth of America. It is not the leeks and the onions of your land that I long after, but it is spiritual food I want. And this is very, very instructive. The 24th of April, we saw and made Hawaii. It was not long before objects that were calculated to have a chilling effect of another kind were brought to our sight. two or three canoes loaded with natives came to the ship their appearance was that of half man and half beast naked except a narrow strip of tappa which by the way i didn't know what tappa was so i looked it up it's cloth made from the bark of the paper mulberry tree which I did not know there was a paper mulberry tree so I learned all sorts of interesting things all they had was that around their loins when they first came on board the sight chilled our very hearts the ladies retired to the cabin and burst into tears and some of the gentlemen turned pale my own soul sickened within me and every nerve trembled are these thought I the beings with whom I must spend the remainder of my life they are men and have souls was the reply which conscience made. I brought my little boy, that is the steward's son, on deck, who was two weeks old. Some of them took him in their arms and in ecstasy exclaimed, very great love to you, and kissed him. And then she says, the last expression of affection we could have dispensed with very well. But we have to become all things to all men that we may gain some. So, Betsy and the Stewarts began work immediately. She and the Stewarts went to open a new station at Maui where Betsy would establish a school for 10 youth, the first of its kind. In 1824, the Mission on Maui opened a school for the education of the local chiefs' servants and family. Betsy Stockton was the first teacher. But she admits in all of this that her life was very hard and very lonely. By the way, she would never marry. However, she would write, though sorrowful, Yet I rejoice, the missionary's sorrows and the missionary's joys are mine. The missionary's grave and perhaps the missionary's heaven will also be mine. And though you don't have this, I need to add, the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions would give virtually no attention to Betsy Stockton's presence on the mission field. When she came back, a big deal was made about the Stewart family not a word was spoken or written about her. And yet I believe with all of my heart, though those on earth paid little attention to her, those in heaven paid a lot of attention to her. By the way, that school that she founded in Maui would take off and black history uh, periodical notes that by 1826, eight, thousand hawaiians had received education most of them if not all of them in the gospel because of the missionary ministry of betsy stockton let me bring my study and our message to a close betsy stockton would return to america in 1826 with the stewart family and they were her family now The poor health of the wife and mother, Harriet, necessitated this return, but she would not cease her missionary work. It would just go in a new direction. Some quick highlights. 1828 to 1830, Betsy is hired by the committee for the establishment of a colored infant school in the city, the city of Philadelphia. She would serve as the principal and head teacher. It was the first of its kind. July 30th, 1829, Betsy would again leave America for mission work in Grape Island, Ontario, Canada. She would teach and help set up the structure of a mission school. She would instruct the native Indian children. Gregory Nobles writes of her work, I quote, within two months, the fruit of Stockton's works were apparent. She came for the purpose of setting up an infant school, which has succeeded admirably and other teachers across the region would build on her success well into the 1830s. September the 6th, 1830, Harriet Stewart dies. Betsy takes over the personal and direct care of the Stewart's three children and takes them to Princeton. Charles Stewart, who was that little boy that was kissed by the natives in Hawaii, became her favorite and he doted on her. He would graduate with highest honors as the head of his class in the military academy at West Point, and he would go on to a distinguished career as a brigadier general. He was indeed like a son to Betsy, and she was like a mother to him. 1835 to 1865, Betsy will live in Princeton for the remainder of her life. Here she opened and served as principal at a public or common school for black children and she served with great distinction there for many years. She led in the formation of the First Presbyterian Church of Color of Princeton, later renamed Weatherspoon St. Church. She helped found a Sabbath school connected to the church for children, and she taught there faithfully for 25 to 30 years. She persuaded a student at the seminary in Princeton, Lewis Mudge, to open a night school for young black men and women who were employed during the day. Eileen Moffat summarizes well her impact on the community. Aunt Betsy, as she was called by her friends, grew to be one of Prince's most admired and beloved figures. Though unassuming and gentle in spirit, she had a a quiet, steady Christian influence. And you, my faculty, will love this. uh, 1865, October 24, Betsy Stockton dies just a few months after the end of the Civil War and the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Her funeral was conducted by the president of Princeton, John McLean, and the great Princeton theologian, Charles Hodge, also spoke. Her obituary reads that her death was a public loss to the community in which she lived, and she would eventually be taken from Princeton to Cooperstown, why? Because that's where the Stewart family was buried and right along the Stewart's, Betsy Stockton would be buried in Lakewood Cemetery in Cooperstown, New York. This is what her headstone says. The grave of Betsy Stockton, a native of Princeton, New Jersey where she died October 24, 1865, aged 67 years. Of African blood and born in slavery, she became fitted by education and divine grace for a life of great usefulness. For many years was a valued missionary at the Sandwich Islands in the family of Reverend C.S. Stewart and afterward till her death, a popular and able principal of public schools in Philadelphia and Princeton, honored and beloved by a large circle of Christian friends. It has been well said that Betsy Stockton's life was a life of first. First single woman to go to the nations. First single black person to go to the nations. First missionary to start a school for the common people of the Sandwich Islands. The first person to start and run a school for infant black children in Philadelphia. The first teacher in the only school for black children in Princeton. Her biographer, Gregory Nobles, is right in commenting upon her life, a life of great usefulness, a most remarkable understatement and indeed it was a life of great usefulness it was a life planned out by God it was the life that God planned for his servant Betsy Stockton I have no doubt in spite of the ups and downs and the travails that she endured she was quite content in what her heavenly father had prepared for her my question for me and for all of us this morning is this are you content and whatever it is that he has for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage. It reminds us that we should find our contentment in Christ, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what circumstances we are placed under. And Lord, I want to thank you that you give us marvelous examples of people that find contentment in your will, like Betsy Stockton. Lord, what an inspiration she has been to me. Uh, so much against her, and yet she did not allow those things to keep her from her dream to be a missionary for King Jesus. And then, Lord, as her life took a turn that brought her back to America, she continued to live out the life of a missionary wherever she was and whatever she was doing. Lord, she is a hero to me, and I pray, Lord, that we would recognize the value of studying lives like hers, that we might learn to be content in you, but also that we might dream great big dreams for a God who indeed is capable of doing far beyond what we could ever hope or imagine. May you do that, yes, for our good, but ultimately for your glory. And we ask and we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.